This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into a, an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this very special episode, guys, we brought Mark Gober back to talk about his new book, An End to Upside Down Contact, UFOs, Aliens, and Spirits, and why their ongoing interaction with human civilization matters, and it absolutely does. Now, on this episode, guys, we talk all things contact, the interdimensionals, nuts and bolts, uh, not yet fully understood fractals of consciousness, ancient accounts, phantom pregnancies for Christ's sake, uh, past lives, and of course, psychedelics. It's incredible. Absolutely mind-blowing conversation. So all the ways to find Mark Gober and his incredible work, guys, one of my favorite authors of all time, is going to be located down in the show notes. Make sure that y'all check that out. While you're down there as well, check out some of the resource links that we offer. Food Forced Abundance, Get Your Freedom From Fear on. Opus, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support. If you want to start your own podcast, we just recently partnered with Red Circle, and that link is down there as well. Could not encourage anybody that wants to start their own show more. Just do it. Do it, do it, do it. It's one of the coolest things. You get to talk to people like Mark Gober. It's insanely cool. Also, while you're down there, guys, check out the link with the Manifestor's Guide. Uh, Use promo code EXPANDINGREALITY, all caps, no spaces, and you get a 10% discount off of the already scholarship offer that he offers just you, the listeners of this show. And trust me, I talked to him. It's the best deal they got, so definitely utilize that if you're called to do that. Now, also, while you're down there, check out the link titled expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's going to be where all the lives are replayed. Mark Gober's been on two of those bad boys right there on the front page. Check them out. Also, that's where you can get uh, links to all the socials, um, merchandise if you feel called to do that, all the Too Hot for YouTube, all of it's over there, guys. Just check out the coolest damn bonus content ever. Sign up to become an expansive insider. It's a monthly value exchange, and that's what we do here on the show. If you find the show valuable, click the link down there that says support the mission, and that is what it's all about. whole sect of the website is just building and growing like crazy, an amazing community. Make sure that you check that out. All right, so let's get to this incredible conversation with Mark Gober. Welcoming to the show with his new book, An End to Upside Down Contact, we have the great and powerful Mark Gober. Dude, Mark, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, Brandon, thank you for having me back. Hell yeah. You, you have an open invite at, at all any time. So, um, dude, your new book's incredible. We have so many damn things to talk about here. Guys, for a little background on him, uh, we're both tennis 
all stars. I was in, uh, we shared this, by the way. I was um, varsity tennis in high school. And then, of course, you were elected the captain of Princeton's Division One tennis team. So congratulations, sir. We'll have to play sometime. So uh, the other thing we are here to talk about is your incredible book. Now, uh, for all of the other ways to find him, guys, I will be linking all of this stuff down in the show notes. So an end to upside down contact. Um, what's up with that? Why do you want to write on contact, man? I don't really know. I, that's the way these books go. I just become interested in a topic and then I'm like, wow, this is really important. I should write about it. I mean, this ha- it happened with my first book and end upside down thinking and people said, what are you going to write about next? And I said, what do you mean? I mean, I can't believe I wrote one book. I never expected to do that. And now I've written four I, I, and I continue to say that about the future. So with regard to contact specifically, it's been on my radar for a while. And the term contact, people generally associate with UFOs and extraterrestrials. And that's certainly part of what I looked at. But I looked at contact more broadly with other intelligent beings, basically, whether it's UFOs or non-UFO related. So if you look at it from that lens, when I'm looking at things like consciousness, which I had spent so much of my other books and this book looking at, inevitably, there are things like channeling, where people literally bring in other beings and then speak the words of that being through their vocal cords, for example, or near-death experiences where they're in another dimension and they encounter deceased relatives and a being of light. So I was encountering things like that for a while. And even in my early days, because a few people have asked me the same question, like back in 2016, when I first started on this journey, before I even knew I was going to write a book, I looked a lot at past lives and uh, past life regression hypnosis, where people would be taken to their past lives with the guidance of a hypnotherapist. And what would happen often is that people would spontaneously remember being uh, having past lives not on Earth, meaning they were not on this planet and they were also not a human species. They were some kind of an extraterrestrial being. And actually in my book, uh, An End to Upside Down Contact, I mentioned the work of Dr. Linda Bachman, who I had been studying initially when I was looking at regression hypnotherapy almost six years ago because she had an interesting story where she was a traditional psychologist. She had a deceased colleague, I believe, who then might have communicated with her after he passed away. So it changed her whole life. Then she began doing past life regression hypnosis to take people to past lives with no interest in aliens. And then spontaneously over time, more than half the people that she was counseling were talking about lives not on earth and they had very similar traits. There was this checklist she basically developed and ended up writing a book on what she called interplanetary souls. So I give this context because it's not, in some ways, it's not very new for me. It's something I've been looking at. I just never focused on it. But I will say that, you know, my my previous book, An End to Upside Down Liberty, came out in the fall of 2021. And this new one, Contact, came out in June of 2022. So there wasn't that much time in between. And there was, I would say, a, more, a kind of a pivotal point in maybe January of 22 when I heard some podcasts. There's one I remember about the secret space program, which I had heard about before. It's very difficult to validate some of this stuff, but it's like, you know, you hear a few things that pique your interest and then it leads you down a rabbit hole. And when I get in that mode, I, I realized there's a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know about. Like I knew about abductions a little bit, but I didn't know about all the details. And I was like, well, this is, I need to understand this more. And other stuff we'll talk about. I realized there was a whole body of of research regarding the nature of reality that I had to dive into. And when I do, when I go into that mode, I'm reading as many books as I can. I'm listening to lots of podcasts. So I binge shows 
that are talking about things where I don't feel like I know enough. So like your show, Brandon, I want to thank you. I would just binge expanding reality because you, you talked to guests that I hadn't come across before and they're experts in their field regarding UFOs and other type of contact stuff. And a few other podcasts like Skeptico, Alien UFO podcast, many others. Um, and so that's, that's the, the short version of how this book came about. Yeah, well, it's amazing. And of course, anything you put your mind on, I'll fanboy on a little bit on you here because you know you're like my favorite author. Um, So, I mean, just the way that you approach things and you had me from the intro, shattering consensus reality. Like that's something you've, you've heard me definitely talk about on here a lot. And it's brilliant the way that you do it, just about perception, about the pyramid, about the uh, mind versus the physical, you know, way of experiencing reality. Uh, the one mind rather versus physicality. And then the other thing that you did in here um, was also, I just wanted to thank you real quick because uh, you did mention the show and a couple of interviews with Jim Pennison and of course Serena Faith Masterson which we're going to touch on here but um Thank you very much. I just wanted to say that. And then also, I mean, I just wanted to say real quick, I just want to read what you wrote about me here. Uh, so it said, uh, Brandon Thomas is the best podcaster ever. This is the most amazing show. Uh, without him, everybody would be screwed. Uh, his interpretations and insight, and it goes on like that for like 15 pages. So thank you so much, man. I just, I really wanted to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> no, but the book is absolutely fantastic, dude. And again, thank you. Thank you for the mission uh, mentions and for sending it to me, because of course, Torn this thing apart, got a million things I want to talk to you about. The first being um, what the the fallacies, the approach that you took for breaking down this information. And I love the way that you do this because, again, you're you're damn eloquent in the way that you perform things. But really, it's it's about your approach. And so, if you don't mind me, let's just take it through these things. So, fallacy one was is that contact is mere fantasy. So, why did you put that as number one? Well, let me take one step back, which is why, why did I even talk about these fallacies? Because the, when I was researching all this stuff, there's a lot of information, as you and your audience know. <laughs> there's so much out there. And I have like varying degrees of confidence about all these different things. So I wanted to start with, what do I feel really confident about? That I can say with a straight face that I feel really confident that this is true. And the reverse is the fallacy, uh, because my books are about the end upside down, and I'm looking at the ways in which we're typically not looking at things the right way. So that's, that was my approach. These fallacies is like where I feel comfortable saying, nah, that's a fallacy. There were some other things. Maybe I have a belief, but I can't prove it. These fallacies I feel really good about. So the first one is that contact is mere fantasy. And this goes really to let's say my old worldview of looking at life as a random, meaningless universe <laughs> and people with that perspective, not always, but many of them would say, well, there aren't other intelligent beings out there. Uh, that's just a, that's just our mind wanting to, to create meaning where there isn't any. Although I will say there, there probably are people who might say that we live in a random, meaningless universe and do think that they're that those beings are out there. Uh, but, but the notion that those beings exist and are interacting with us is a bit more far-fetched for people. So I want to say like, that's, that's real. And for your audience that you, many people probably take that for granted, but for a lot of people, that's a big deal that we're not the top of the food chain and these beings are interacting with us. So in the book, I wanted to establish that that is not true, that there are, that contact is fantasy. That's a fallacy. Agreed. And I'm so grateful that you did. And yes, it is um, funny. I was just, I had on Fantastic Planet. Have you ever seen that from 73? 
Uh, it's the animated French film. You read, it's like they're talking in French, but anyway, it's blue avians. It's all animated, right? So it's 70s animation. And the humans are the pets, or they're like these little small, they call them orms or something like that. Anyway, so it, you know, they're these tiny little things, but the aliens themselves are these gigantic things that live much longer than us, and they're blue with red eyes. So they kind of remind us of like avians or of djinn or something like that. And the mythology is that those are the things actually running the show here. And so your point about us not being the top of the food chain, yeah, that's something that we have a real tough time. Uh, kind of swallowing, especially us here in America, right? Because we can just <laughs> drop a nuke on them. And um, so again, uh, I'm grateful that you established this. And, and it's wonderful just to, like you said, uh, point out that a lot of folks would take that for granted because you're right. To us, it's just like, yeah, duh, you know. Uh, now, fallacy two, contact is an entirely physical phenomena. So why that one? Yeah, because so let's say you accept that contact is real and they're UFOs or, or whatever else people believe. What I found in my research is that there seems to be a divide within the, the contact community of people who, who just want to look at nuts and bolts, the physicality of the craft, which is very important too, but there's a whole other element. And if you just focus on the nuts and bolts, to me, you're missing the, the greater phenomenon. So I wanted to establish that in the book, that there is a, an element of consciousness, a multidimensionality to this, which also ties into my prior work about consciousness. So that was a, a nice synergy there. Uh, but I wanted to make that clear. It's not just about the, the physical thing that someone might see in the sky. Um, it's much more complex and it's difficult to understand. It, it really is. And the and I love, though, again, your approach to this, because we do look at it here on the show. Absolutely. This is the expanding reality model. Um, again, thank you uh, for your kind words and being a listener. But it, this is what we do. We take in all of the information. Let's just talk about it, because it's very important not to get so focused. But I love the people that get so focused, because they're very necessary, because those are the guys that we go look at, guys and gals. And we say, you know what, you've done a tone of research on this, you know, what, what have y'all found so far? What's new in your world? You know, what do you have new to contribute to the conversation? And so this idea though, that it is entirely physical and that these nuts and bolts craft, this is something that I waved bye-bye to quite a while ago. Um, and that not that it's not exclusively possible or, or that's one possibility, but it's not like you said, entirely physical, which brings in the interdimension, interdimensional or the ultra dimensional beings as Hal put off, just put it in his new uh, paper, which again, you cover a uh, remote viewing very very well in your in your book here. So uh, let's let's move on to fallacy number three. So contact involves exclusively malevolent intelligences who want to abuse and or enslave humanity. Now this is the big one. This is you know from all of our movies and conditioning. What have we done? They've landed. They've never been helpful. We we need to shoot them, and, and it's usually a big to do. So this is one of the interesting points, and I'm grateful that you put it ahead of the one after it. So why why malevolent? Yeah. Because exactly what you said, I have come across opinions that these beings are all demonic, almost like it's a monolithic thing. And that's another idea that I I think throughout the book, it's, it's implied that I'm not describing something monolithic. I'm talking about something that seems to be multi-species, probably multidimensional and incredibly diverse. So to just pin and say these are all evil, uh, that's a dangerous thing to do if we want to really understand the phenomenon. And the next fallacy is they're not all benevolent either. And so it's a spectrum that I, I continue to come across in my research. And I would see certain people get stuck in one or the other, when in reality, it's both and and just incredible diversity. 
A hundred percent. Because if you think about also how, you know, uh, somebody interacts with even you, uh, the same Mark, maybe you're having a horrible day and you go and you're just really mean to someone. Well, then that's their interaction with you. And they're going to go, man, I met that best-selling award-winning author, Mark Gover, and he was kind of a douche. But really, you're not. You were just having a moment. You know what I mean? And so to aliens or any kind of contact as well, maybe they're just having a bad day. Or maybe that was just the type of species that wanted to visit you or, you know, and we can get into motives and all that stuff, but it's all speculation and wanted to visit you and, and, check on you or whatever. And that was just your role in that, you know, in um, that exchange there. And so it seems that, yeah, it's not exclusively any of these things, which again is so important that we do take for granted because some folks can get skewed by their perception of things and not really look at the big picture because really like in NDEs as well, and you point this out in your book, they're a very small percentage, bad experiences and near death experiences, psychedelic experiences as well. I'll just add that one. And then, um, uh, you know, alien contact or non-human intelligences, it's a very small percentage of negative or, you know, not good or it didn't feel feel good, you know, Travis Walton type cases. So um, it's a very important distinction. And I'm grateful that you made it. So what's your kind of overall take on, you know, intent? Do you have, you know, any ideas? And again, feel free to speculate wildly. You know us here. Yeah, this is speculation now. And the intent, this is my guess, varies by the species and maybe within the species, like with human beings, there's a big spectrum of what you might call psychopathic versus saintly. Yeah, uh, We might probably have that within species. So Absolutely. you might have extremes of some beings who are like angelic, who really want, are, they're all unconditional love and they're here to help us and help us evolve. And then you have others that do want to enslave. Now, the way in which those beings interact with our world and what the percentages are and their relative influence, I really don't know. It's hard to say because some people you don't let you remember. Like we've all probably all been abducted. It's just, you know, some people don't get to remember or there's the screen memories, which you eloquently put in your book as well. Um, I completely agree, dude. So uh, we're on to five because, yes, it's the inverse of malevolent and benevolent. And we completely agree. So contact is an exclusively recent phenomena. And this is um, something very important to point out. So why? Yeah, well, especially in the news today, we're hearing much more about UFOs. It's becoming a mainstream topic. And since World War II, there have been many more reports. And really, since the advent of airplanes and flying crafts, we've seen had more reports. And maybe some of them are not actual alien crafts. Uh, but it, th there could be this perception that, yeah, this has been going on for a relatively short amount of time. But if you look back in history and look back at even some of the ancient mythologies and biblical texts, what they describe, if you say, maybe let's, let's say they're not talking about fiction, they're actually describing something that happened. Wow, that sounds a lot like what people are describing today with their interactions. So maybe this has been going on for a long time. And I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that's true. Yeah, could not agree more. And some of the cases you point out, of course, are uh, biblical passages, Ezekiel's wheel, um, <clears throat> the Bible, the Quran even has some accounts that could be interpreted as UFO experiences, which is cool. And of course, petroglyphs, cave art. All of that is very important to put into context. And of course, paintings, you know, we've all seen those awesome paintings of like the, you know, Mother Mary and she's holding Jesus. There's a UFO right outside the window, like beaming something down into her. It's like a damn UFO. And there's all these, uh, the Nuremberg woodcut from like 1554, 52, I can't really remember, but it's got all of those you know, craft in the sky. I mean, it's got, um, it depicts like what they were, what, what have been reported as like the cigar shaped thing, which may come from the secret space program, by the way, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, all of that. And there, there's this huge battle and like thousands of people saw it. It fell on houses in the town and it screwed a bunch of things up and killed people. And it was an extraterrestrial battle in the 1500s. And so it is cool, um, you know, 
that that somebody reported stuff like that. I think it's fantastic, man. Um, and so again, you you point out wonderful examples in the book, guys. Check it out for sure. Going to be linked below. Now, uh, fallacy six, of course, contact is a fringe phenomena that does not play a significant role in the direction of the human civilization. So, what's up with yeah. that one? <laughs> so this is a fallacy that I think is the the hardest one to prove of the six, but I do feel like it is a fallacy. In other words, I don't think this is a fringe phenomenon, meaning that the, whatever contact is happening, benevolent or not, it's having a, a significant impact on our world in some way. And it becomes more speculative in terms of how that's actually happening. But the point is that it's not fringe. This is an important area of understanding everything in our world. Because I, I do notice that some people, they might accept the reality of UFOs and say, oh yeah, of course there's other intelligent beings in this huge universe. And they might have that perspective, but it's kind of this fringe thing. And there's some loony people that have had these experiences, but it's not really impacting our world. We have our own problems to deal with. I think there's an inter interplay though. These beings are somehow influencing our world and they might even have a stake in what happens a hundred percent now i will say that i think that things like imagination and imaginary things have a real impact on our lives and i, I agree with you and this is the direction that i look at it as i say you know it's made a massive impact on my life you know you and i are sitting here getting to talk about it and so it's made a real physical impact in life but the impact that it makes even on us that want to entertain the thought that don't have cognitive memory or uh, recall of being abducted myself uh you know it it seems that it plays such a cool role in connecting so many different pieces of the puzzle that, you know, keep eluding everyone. But at the same time, the impact that it does make, like you, like you said, was it's not a huge one yet, but it's very just like the contact phenomena itself. It's very grassroots. It's very personal. It touches you. And that's something I definitely want to talk to you about is the subjectivity of contact experiences. What have you learned about that? Well, it's critical because... Um, there is a lack of direct physical evidence. And I do talk about some examples of it, but it's much harder to come by. And for many skeptics, it's not sufficient for them. Uh, but there are many people who have had direct experiences and their lives have been dramatically altered. Very similar to what happens after a near-death experience. And actually, Kenneth Ring wrote a book called The Omega Project in 1992. He's a psychologist from the University of Connecticut. And he was looking at near-death experiences and he's well-known in that space. But he decided to compare what happens to people after near-death experiences relative to UFO encounters, including alien abductions. And he found that there are many similarities in terms of the way that the experience impacted them even though the experiences themselves were very different. So for example, people tend to become more spiritual afterwards. He cl clarified more spiritual, not religious. Yes. They might even have Kundalini awakenings. Uh, so, but that's a deeply personal thing for, for it to happen to them. And it transforms them in a way that they typically can't describe adequately to people using language. There's an ineffability to it. And that's one of the big challenges in all this as a researcher, but as just anyone who's curious to know about the phenomenon, we're often relying on what someone experienced and that relies also on their memory, not only their ability to use language, but their memory. And as you were alluding to, Brandon, we might have all had experiences and don't remember it. Like, what do we really know about what's happened beyond our conscious memory? Who knows? I mean, we, I talk about this in my other books, like with regard to past lives. The implication is that we all have amnesia. Yeah. That is crazy if you think about it. Basically, there's a memory block and maybe it can be unlocked through certain things, but most of us have this block we had a life, many lives, and we do not remember them. 
And yet maybe we are affected by those lives. We might have certain fears or things that we prefer because of those past lives. And we don't remember the specificity of it. So getting to your question about subjectivity, um, we have to rely on people's accounts. So they might not even remember everything. Yeah, a hundred percent. In the witness case, you know, eyewitness testimony is the least um, like it's the least reliable in court cases because of the way that people interpret their memory, especially from that hypersensitive state. You know, if they were if there was something traumatic that was going on and they're asked being asked to recall that, it's that's that's very tricky for a lot of people to do accurately. And again, like you said, not only the use of the language, but also their ability to recall. And you know, who's to know what they saw or if they saw or, or if what they can tell you that they saw is actually what they saw. And you bring this up in your book as well about the screen memories. And so tell me what you found out about screen memories. Yeah. I mean, and this stuff is huge for thinking about everything, not just contact. Yeah. But what appears over and over again, and I want to clarify before going to the examples, because the examples probably will sound insane, maybe not to your audience, no, but to people good. haven't heard this before. Um, that, okay, these, these beings basically can appear in different forms to people. That's what seems to be happening. And it's... It's not just one case of this. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have talked about it. This is reported over and over again. And the types, the ways in which they manifest, there's consistency. So these beings will often appear as owls or deer or raccoons. Mike Clellan is, is famous for having studied these owl accounts. And what he says is that you know people will, will remember that they encountered an owl on the road, for example, and then they'll have missing time meaning they come back to their consciousness and a few hours have passed and they don't know what happened. So they still think it was an owl, but maybe they go under hypnosis, which in some cases unlocks memories. And they'll, the hypnotherapist will say, I want you to go up to that owl and just see what you remember while the person's in a relaxed state. And they'll go up to the owl and they realize, wait a second, this is not an owl. This is a very alien. <laughs> and it happens repeatedly. Wild, um, yeah. And it, even John Mack, who I talk about it a lot in the book because he's a highly credible person, head of psychiatry department at Harvard. He passed away in 2004, Pulitzer Prize winner. You cannot be a more credible person. And he says these alien beings appear to be the consummate shapeshifters, meaning that they can change their form. And that's what he gathered when he talked to many, many people who had been through these abduction experiences. And he concluded that they were not psychotic largely, that something actually was going on. So what does that mean for everything in the world? If, if, it basically means that there is an intelligence that can change the way it appears to us. So then how do we know that anything is what it is? We really can't know. If you want to be truly skeptical about this, we don't actually know what we're looking at. This is my one of my favorite and most trippy things. Like if you guys are driving, just settle down. Uh, it's this. <laughs> it's that, you know, nothing is what it is. Like who knows? Who knows what the hell is going on? I'm always, you know, saying like brain in a vat somewhere being sent electrical signals. That could be what's going on. And uh, so you're absolutely right. And so this idea of, and I had Dr. Michael um, Dr. Michael P. Masters on. He wrote an awesome book, Identified Flying Out. You're familiar, uh, of yeah. course. And uh, so when we were on, when he was on, we were talking about, you know, the possibility of it being like mimicry. Like in nature, we find that a lot. Now, octopuses are crazy about this, and there's conjecture that they're actually aliens anyway, the blue blood, the three hearts, all that cool shit. Um, and then you have things like um, the 
um, moths that will have owl eyes on the back of them. That's the predator mm -hmm. of the thing that feeds on them. And so this type of like mimicry or this camouflage, this aspect is very interesting, you know, and it seems like, like we can't, you know, or, or we don't know that we can yet. Uh, and so the, the fact that you mentioned it is very important, I think. And so another thing that I wanted to mention is David Jacobs. Uh, you wrote in here about, you know, of course, when he met Bud Hopkins in 82, this when I was born, no big deal. Uh, you talked about in his 1998, his second book, um, uh, the threat that the book focused on an alien hybridization program. So this is another way that perhaps these things can blend into our society or, you know, just walk among us because this is what he was talking about. He said that perhaps hybrids would start blending in with our society and just kind of walk among us. So this idea is not only um, super dope, but also super terrifying. So what do you think about hybrids, man? Yeah, well, I think hybrids are real and that there is a hybridization program. This is something John Mack also said. I like to start with him as a Harvard guy, but David Jacobs, a Temple professor, Temple University. Um, the, so what is the hybridization program? This is actually something I was not as familiar with until I started researching for this book. I had maybe come across it, but not in a serious way. And I realized this is like, this is fundamental to the yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. And what people report when they're abducted. And when I say abduction, I mean a person reports being taken aboard some kind of a craft and typically they're operated on and they have sperm or eggs extracted or they're inseminated. There's a highly sexual aspect to this. And often there is discussion of hybrids, meaning that their genetic material is used, the human being's genetic material is used and blended with this alien species to create a hybrid that's part alien, part human. So I want to establish that this is reported all the time. John Mack talked about it too, David Jacobs, many others. This is sort of just common knowledge in the space, but the interpretation of it, people have very different opinions on it. So John Mack, I quote him in the book where he, his opinion after having talked to all these survivors of abductions is that this is in an evolutionary insurance program, that there are indeed hybrids that are being created, but it's sort of like, well, if we blow ourselves up, then the, the planet can be repopulated. Maybe other planets can be seeded with these hybrid species, but it, it's ultimately a benevolent thing. Um, another, you know, David Jacobs has a darker take. Now it's interesting, the time frame here, John Mack passed away in 2004. David Jacobs, what he reported is that what people told him after their abductions started to change over time. So his most recent book, Walking Among Us came out in 2015. So I always wonder what John Mack would have said. John Mack was more on the benevolent side of all this. He did say it could be very traumatic for people, but if they integrated it properly, they could have a spiritual awakening in a sense, because it was so reality and paradigm shifting. Uh, but even he acknowledged this was a very traumatic thing when people are taken uh, you know, outside of their will, uh, although that's a separate topic because at some level, people might've agreed before birth. We can talk about yeah. that later, yeah. uh, but it didn't seem voluntary to many of them. That can be very traumatic for people. And he said, if they didn't integrate it properly, it could be damaging to the person's psyche. So anyway, this is a long way of getting to David Jacobs, who what he started to find in people he talked to is that the program was about, this hybridization program is about planetary takeover, meaning that the hybrid beings would be created using complex genetic modification, I guess, such that the beings would be indistinguishable from humans, but they would have the mental capacities of these alien beings. And what he described is that many of the beings lack empathy 
which for a human, we would say that's psychopathic, but it's sort of like they have this lack of empathy and also ability to control humans' minds and telepathic abilities. So they've got all this mental stuff going on and yet they look like humans. And what David Jacobs talks about in his books, I mean, especially his book, Walking Among Us, it reads like science fiction. That's what's hard about this stuff. He's quoting, you know, these are transcripts of what people are telling him, how they, they were tasked with training hybrids on how to be more human and teaching them about society, like basic things, eating, you know, just you name it, the the most basic stuff that they wouldn't know because they don't live here. He talks about them, these hybrids actually living in people's apartments so they can acclimate themselves. Now, I mean, he doesn't have a great solution at the end of the book. He thinks this is absolutely what's happening. He doesn't believe in some of the benevolent stuff. He thinks this is absolutely planetary takeover. These beings have done this before, and he doesn't really provide a solution as to what we can do to help. Now, I better pause there because that's his perspective. Not everyone agrees with it. I'm just reporting what he's talked about. It's a great account. You're absolutely right, because there is just like this entire place, whatever the hell this thing is, uh, duality seems to, uh, you know, you can't escape duality in any corner of it. And so even in the in the phenomena, no one can agree on anything, which that's fine. I mean, we don't need to. But really, what's interesting is that the cases are really those two juxtaposed. It's either super, super awesome and dope and you come back amazing and awesome, or it taught you something in the form of a horrible lesson or however you want to perceive it. Now, the, the issue I think a lot of people have with it was one which is one I have as well now I don't know what my soul decided to do before I came here but I do know that I'm probably not okay you know with someone just snatching me up and then you know doing whatever they want to me or whatever I'm uh, like bodily autonomy is something I'm a big fan of and I'm I would not it, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't be too kindly to the understanding that it wasn't true. And so I think that, you know, uh, maybe that's why they don't let me remember. Maybe I go kicking and screaming the entire time because it's just like, I do what I want kind of a thing, you know? Uh, and so this, this idea that you're like being, I mean, it's called abduction, you know, you're going without your will and I'd rather, you know, and then when we talk about screen memories and what they can make you perceive, perhaps they make you perceive it as an incredible experience. And perhaps mm-hmm. it's something horrible for everyone mm-hmm. all the time. If they're that capable of hijacking the way they you know they appear to you of course they could uh, do that as well and the hybrids are an interesting one man because yes this is paramount in the uh, subject and it's it's interesting for a few reasons so if you say that something's a shapeshifter and something's of this world and not from it you know kind of a thing then perhaps one of the speculative ideas is is that they're breeding here because they're more of an AI or they're more of a ethereal higher level being and they need to get in a human body or come down to this vibration or this density you know and that can be on a very physical level it doesn't have to be anything woo woo uh, and that's how they're able to operate here even with like gravity and shit maybe that they just can't walk around here because it's just too dense their avatar doesn't work here and this would be a great way to integrate your species in and yeah man take over and it's crazy uh, or maybe I mean what's something beneficial that hybrids are doing what's like uh, you know something positive a positive spin we can put on it one of the reports and I'm thinking of what uh, Mary Rodwell has said is that there can be an exchange where human beings agree, whether pre-birth or explicitly in this life, to give their genetic material in exchange for health or maybe spiritual development. I think things along those lines where there's actually an agreement, there's a, there's a trade-off that's made. So whatever they want to, these beings want to use hybrids for, maybe it's interplanetary seeding, or maybe it's who knows what else, maybe something for their species to integrate with the humans might have something that they want. That, that might be part of it, uh, but that the human being gets something out of the exchange too. 
Yeah. Have you looked into, I'm sure you came across this in your research, like um, the, I guess, alleged um, agreement that Eisenhower had called the Granada Treaty, where he alleged, have you heard about it, this at all? Yeah, I okay. have. What do you I've, think? I've come across a lot of this stuff. I really, I really don't know for sure. Um, Just for the audience, before we go into it, uh, yeah, it's allegedly kind of, where um, Eisenhower met with some um, extraterrestrials. There's actually some missing time where he said he went to a dentist, but the dentist's wife said that that never happened and all this weird stuff. So anyway, where he was flown at Area 51, he allegedly met with aliens. There's another rep- uh, account that says that he was actually doing it in, in Antarctica, New Schwabenland, uh, which is super cool. And that goes a whole nother way. But basically that he met with aliens. They said, hey, dude, uh, we're going to be jacking y'all's people every now and then, and we're going to do it as much as they want. Allegedly, he said, actually, just take a few and y'all keep a list, which is hilarious. Like they're sitting there writing people's names down and shit. And uh, y'all keep a list of who you snatch up and then let us know. And then we're going to get your like fiber optics and microchips and all this stuff. So this is the like short version of that story, but it's all conjecture. And we, you know, who knows about this kind of stuff. But the uh, and then also um, the zones is the national forest. That's where national parks. That's where they can scoop people up. And so that ties into the 411 phenomena where there's so many people that go missing in national forest and uh that's a whole nother thing so now that you're set up go for it what do you think it's possible it's just really hard to prove with some of this stuff uh like it's completely conceivable that if these beings exist if you accept all these other things we're talking about why wouldn't they want to go to the most powerful people and be able to have these sorts of negotiations so i'm going to leave it there because i don't really feel it qualified to say much else I'm going to say you're booking into Upside Down Liberty. It could have just been um, that they're all AI or they're all hybrids, actually. That's why they contacted high-level government. They got in there and they've replaced everybody with hybrids. And that's why things are going to shit, you know, is because of that. And then end of book, you know, but your book's amazing. <laughs> uh, so um, another thing that you mentioned in here were miracle healings. So you talked exclusively, and I'm grateful that you brought Preston Dennett into this work because he is so phenomenal, such an underrated dude. Uh, and of course, um, his The Healing Power of UFOs details 309 cases since 1914. So what did you find when looking into that? Yeah, well, with a lot of this stuff, I like to see many cases. And if it's happening over and over again, I start to become more interested. So when there are these accumulations of similar things happening like that, I thought that was a really excellent work because could I validate every single one? No. But when you put them all together, the analogy is if you put a bunch of twigs together in a bundle, it's hard to break the bundle, but you could break any individual twig. And that's the way I look at this. And he talks about all these miracle healings where people encounter the beings and they were cured of basically every kind of ailment you could imagine. Now, David Jacobs, who had this darker take on abductions, he even acknowledged that humans have been healed by the aliens. But his perspective was that it was selfish because humans are subjects for whatever they're trying to do to help these hybrids acclimate. So they wanted their subjects to be healthy. And you know, whatever the reason is for the, for these miracle healings, they do appear to be happening. Yeah, it's like a it's like a false gift, you know what I mean? It's something like easy for them where they just kind of like pull a thorn out of your paw, you know, and send you <laughs> on your way. But really, they track you and they, they do all this crazy stuff to you. Um, what did you do any research to any connections or the high percentage of connections of contact cases to military family members? I mean, it was one of those themes that came up a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't know the, the numbers on it, but there is a common theme. Yeah, And um, I mentioned the book Above Black by Dan Sherman, and he was in a high-level program allegedly. And what's interesting about his case is he talked about a secret program within a, a program that's publicly acknowledged. And he wrote that before that was validated by the documents released from Edward Snowden. 
So that, that that phenomenon does exist. And we now know that, which maybe lends credibility. It's impossible to prove. But to your question, he he said that his mother, he when he was brought into this program, because he was already in the military, I believe, and then he was brought into a secret part of this program that he was already in. Um, they told him that his mother had been abducted. So that he was part of some kind of a lineage and his job, what he called it was an intuitive communicator to communicate with some of these gray beings. And I guess you needed to have a certain type of t- telepathic ability. So who knows, maybe his mother's abduction related to his abilities. And that's why yeah. he was in the military. I just give that one example because it might be emblematic of something that's happening more broadly. Well, it's so interesting because of course you'd want any type of mili- um, extraterrestrial non-human intelligence involvement to be something in a military family because you're living on base here, you know, you're much more controlled and controllable, you know, and monitorable, which also would kind of hint at some kind of cooperation, um, which is very, very interesting. Now, another, of course, military man that you, again, so graciously pointed out in your book, Jim Penniston, dude. So what made his story so compelling for you? Well, let me tell you the backstory because I mentioned his his interview with you, which I recommend to your listeners if you haven't gone back to listen to that. It's a fantastic interview. His case is is compelling for many reasons. Um, and when I was early in my research on this, probably in the January timeframe, that was one of the early interviews that I heard where when I decided I want to learn more about this topic, not even thinking I was gonna write a book yet. It was, you know, let me start binging. And I was looking for your interviews where you were talking about UFOs and Jim Penniston might have been the first or second one. So his story, and you can fill me in on the details if I miss something, because his he's got a 700-page book out. He does. That yeah, it's documents amazing. what happened with him. So it's called the Rendlesham Forest event. That's what it's popularly known as. This was in 1980. And there was a craft. And he's in the military and was tasked with going out to see what was going on with his craft in the woods. And he touched the craft, which you don't hear very often. No. He saw weird symbols on it as well. But when he, so that night, he had zeros and ones flashing in his mind. And he couldn't get them out of his head and he couldn't sleep. So he said, I need to just write these down. So he ended up writing down 16 pages worth of zeros and ones in his journal. Fast forward 30 years, he was on the set of a documentary and one of the journalists who was on the set with him um, saw him flipping through his, his journal and said, wait, you need to stop at that. When, he, when, they, when that journalist saw the zeros and ones, that's binary code. We need to look into this. So then he decoded what was there and found that the 16 pages of binary code relate to sacred sites on the planet, often associated with pyramids, like the pyramids of Giza and a bunch of other places around the planet. And there was a message that they decoded. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something about the evolution of uh, the continuation of the evolution of humanity. I've got it from your book right here. Exploration of humanity, a continuous for planetary advancement. And that's what the ones and zeros, again, with all of the pyramids that you talked about again, on major uh, ley lines, too, by the way, I'll just all mention there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, he said that when he touched it, he just thought he'd rock it a bit, like a Cadillac or something, you know, um, because he didn't know uh, if it was on. And just like the hubris, I was like the chutzpah of you just to walk up and touch this damn thing. Uh, And yeah, he said he couldn't sleep, but it's a phenomenal case and it's so fascinating. And he said that 700 page, 703 page book um, wasn't even the complete story. There's more he could have told on that. And I believe him. Um, So I want to ask you about a few other um, ancillary phenomena that have to do with contact, but that still fall into the contact, you know, arena. Because, of course, Hynek's uh, delineations or whatever. Now, when you talk about uh, contact, have you gone on or would you be interested in doing any CE5 stuff? Because I know some folks. That'd be fun. Yeah. So CE5 is basically induced contact. 
that you can get together as a group and put your mental intention in the same place and and basically summon these beings. Uh, I am personally very cautious regarding all of these beings. Um, and it, it probably comes from a lot of the early spiritual research I was doing. Um, one of my big influences was Dr. David Hawkins, who I never met. He passed away in 2012. And he's known for the book Power Versus Force. Actually, that's my least favorite of his work. Some of his other work to me is like top notch. He has a book called The Eye of the Eye, the second one he wrote. His third book is just called The Letter I, Reality and Subjectivity, one of my favorite books all, of all time, but it's super dense and thick. And then his last book, Letting Go, uh, any of his books, they're all good. But he was a classically trained psychiatrist, like the top psychiatrist in New York at the time was an atheist and then had a spiritual awakening. And then later, after having many spiritual awakenings and reaching states of unity consciousness, he started writing books. He felt like he needed to come. He, so he left his profession, went into the woods for several years, meditating in states of bliss and said, I need to come back to the world to try to talk to people about this. So that's, that's the, the background here. He talked a lot about other beings and these other realms. And he says they absolutely exist. But number one, he considered it to be a distraction because he's like, look, I'm teaching the path to enlightenment. And that's really the most important thing. People are going to get distracted with this other stuff. You got to work on your, your own stuff. So don't get distracted with it. Number one. And number two, he said, you could be dealing with beings that are so far advanced. And he would always say they've been, they've been around for eons. You don't know what you're dealing with. You could be deceived by a being that masquerades as completely benevolent but then gets you off on the wrong track. So I'll give another example of this. In my book, An End Upside Down Living, my second one, where I talk about just approaches for living life from a spiritual lens. Uh, a woman who was channeling, so she was summoning these beings, not CE5 per se, but it's kind of similar conceptually, bringing in external beings and they were guiding her through her life. They were helping her with life decisions. And at one point they told her she should leave her job, which she was very skeptical about. She was like, this is a big decision. She decided to do it. And it turned out to be a horrible decision. Oh. And she remembers that the beings were then laughing and they told her to kill herself. So oh. she realized that she had been fooled by these beings. I don't know if they, I think they were just, you know, in her mind that she was communicating with them metaphysically. Uh, but that was a big red flag for her. So that's kind of what David Hawkins was warning about. Now, I do think there are benevolent beings too, but like Hawkins would say this too. It's hard enough to discern what's going on on the planet with physical beings like there's yeah. so much deception here. How can we really discern on these other levels? And so I, I want to clarify one thing because like in, in Hawkins's work, it was more about the path to enlightenment. He didn't talk about as much about this stuff, acknowledging that there were other beings. The reason that I do think it's important to know about all this is that like to me, learning the truth is important because that helps us understand our surroundings and it helps us know how to navigate life. And that's how I look at this phenomenon. I'm not as interested in actually personal contact. Like if it happens, okay. But um, I'm nervous about it because I don't feel like I know it well enough. And at the same time, I think this is a super important phenomenon to understand because it can help us understand our world, our history and everything that happens. It puts a new lens on it. Dude, absolutely. Um, in the idea of the subjectivity of the contact phenomena, um, did you ever find or have you heard of the idea that uh, that whenever somebody gets contact, let's say by one species of alien, right? Let's say that it is just that. Then they get, you generally get contacted by that species the entire time. And it's not generally a variety. Like there's such a small mm. percentage of cases where there's multiple races of entities that are meeting with folks. And usually it's like if you get the Pleiadians, you, you get the Pleiadians forever. Almost like, like they adopt you. Like I brought up the example before of like, 
when I was in third grade, we adopted a whale, you know what I mean? And so we all paid like mm-hmm. seven bucks and you get to save a whale or something. So maybe you're like their, their whale, you're their human that they adopt. And then the Pleiadians have you the entire time. The greys pick somebody else. Uh, so what do you think about that? Have you come across any of that? Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, that does seem to be a theme yeah. that comes up. There's a continuity and I'm thinking it relates also to the concept of spirit guides. John Mack talked about this in one of his cases in his book, Abduction, written in 1994, where he goes through very detailed case studies of people that he talked to, uh, both before hypnosis, they reported what they remembered, then after hypnosis. And usually there was a discrepancy, like more granularity came out, which again, points to this issue of what's with our memory. Um, but he, there was a case he talked about where the alien beings, uh, one of the, the women that he was advising and, and helping through this process, she was trying to process her her alien experiences, but this being had, had helped her through past lives as well, this alien species. Wild, right? So it's, there's something going on. There's like maybe a galactic heritage. And now I'm getting into the really speculative stuff that I've heard, but I could, could never prove that maybe we have galactic heritages from our past lives and those beings that are guiding us, maybe even abducting us or just contacting us uh, are related to those past experiences. Yeah. Like you're just taking a break from being um, a glip glorp on XV seven to come, you know, hang out and just chill on earth for a little while. Like this is relaxed time for you. And you're like, okay, well, when this is over, I'll, I'll join you guys back over there. Right. It's just so this, this concept is so interesting. It's convoluted. I'm, I'm, I'm like you, like I'm skeptical, of course. I mean, and I don't trust any of these damn things. Um, and, but it's, it's so interesting. It's just like, I, I want it to be super true and super dope. I want all of it to be true. Like, that's awesome. And I want like, um, Kathleen Martin and I were talking about how, you know, it's a vibrational thing. Right. And so this is something I had a question I had for you. Do you think that like you can get into the state to where you only interact with the benevolent versus the benevolent and vice versa? Like if you're in a low enough, you know, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've heard lots of opinions about this because I've asked myself that same question. Because part of me says, are we supposed to interact with them? Should we be trying to reach out to the benevolent ones to help us? And I will say this, before I write all my books, even my first book, I sit down and I say, I'm not the author of this book. Like whatever benevolent forces exist, like I will be the physical vessel for this, but this is for the highest good. Help me to do that. So there is the part of me that is contacting in a way um, but it's a little bit, you know, it's different. I'm not like trying to summon something in the sky. I'm not, I'm not asking for that directness, but I'm, it's, I'm acknowledging that whatever intelligence comes through all of us is not me, the ego. So from that perspective, uh, I, there's probably benefit to it. Just so many people even talk about that. And, and like lots of advanced spiritual teachers will, will talk in that way of like the, they call it humility to try to have that humility of you're not really the, you're the vehicle, but you're, it's not all you. Um, There was something else I wanted to say. Okay. So going back to a story from David Hawkins. So part of me probably agrees. It was Kathleen Martin who said that. Yes. Okay. Probably agrees with her that when you get to a certain level, you attract in those beings and maybe the lower vibrational beings can't come into your space as much. That's certainly plausible to me, but I always this is one of the most memorable stories in all my research. So David Hawkins talked about when he was in his light enlightenment path, ascending to different levels. He got to the state where it was just him, where he was surrendering his attachments to everything. It was just this oneness state. And he said that a knowingness came to him, a knowingness, which as he has described it many times, basically a non-physical intelligence came to him and said, look, you have transcended all of your personal karma. All power is yours. He beat the simulation. Yeah. Take the power. And he goes, wait a second. 
if I am everything, I don't need to take the power. So he rejected it. And he claims, like, who knows? I like the theme of the story. I don't know yeah. the details, but he, he claims he was shown other humans that did not take the bait and others that did, that got to that high level and took the bait. And they had a horrible karmic fall where they had to basically start from the beginning. Oh. So it was a very, what a lot of these teachers say is that, that your mistakes cost you a lot more as you get higher and higher. Now, I, I gave that example in response to your question, because if we believe what Hawkins was doing, he was at a very high level of consciousness. And yet one of those beings still came and tried to get him. He yeah. called it the Luciferic temptation that these beings, whatever, and it's evolutionary in some way it's helping us because we're trying to, you know, get to the next grade almost like in school, yes. trying to pass the test, but they find you where you're weak. That's one of the themes. So he was super high level, probably tapping into high level beings also. And at the same time, one of these dark beings came and tried to trick him. See, yes, because this is the idea of like the the Mr. Smith and Neo, you know, the um, Jesus and Satan. Like it's 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 all like this dual again, this dualistic thing. And again, even at that level, it was probably just you or that other part of you that's necessary for the balance. So this this kind of interesting because I've I've you know wanted to know for a little while, or I've asked the question: Is there a level at which we escape duality, and where there's just mm -hmm. kind of some knowingness or some understanding, and you're not constantly you know in fear of screwing something up, or that you're being tested or deceived, you know, like everything wants to kill you or trick you. It's like, dude, can we just relax for a little bit? But I guess this is part of it. And, you know, the contact phenomena seems to play a significant role in that. So I love, again, that one of the fallacies you point out that it, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't affect the direction of human civilization. But of course, it does, man, because we're talking about it. We're having an amazing time with it. And it's definitely impacted the lives of the people that I've been able, been grateful enough to talk about their experiences with it. And I mean, it's, it is so interesting, just the wide varied but then some of the connections and so something i wanted to talk to you about is like the psychedelic experiment experience because this also dovetails with contact there's contact that occurs in the psychedelic experience so what did you find with that yeah and i want to preface this answer and also this goes back to my previous answers with i'm giving my speculation like i haven't had these personal experiences so i really don't know i'm trying to intellectualize based on all the information i've taken but i don't know the rules to all this stuff you never done mushrooms I haven't had, you know, I haven't, bro, I haven't, get, get your ass out to Texas. We'll do some <laughs> mushrooms. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But I, so when I talk about DMT and these people encountering entities, like I haven't directly experienced that, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm reporting on like what Rick Strassman from the university of New Mexico is saying. And um, so his experiment was fascinating because in most cases uh, you can't get approval from the government to give administer psychedelics. And DMT is one of the dimethyltryptamine, DMT for short, is naturally produced by the body. It's found in nature, but it's decomposed very quickly. So you're, people aren't tripping all the time. But if you give it to people intravenously, you have this artificial trip. <laughs> yeah. And that's what he was doing. Uh, I should also mention with ayahuasca, that is a way of keeping the DMT active in the body. So it's a plant brew where the chemicals keep the DMT alive. So people have crazy trips, but it's also associated with what people call mother ayahuasca. So this conscious being that is there guiding the process, which is also pretty interesting. Very. So long way of saying, okay, Rick Strassman, giving people intravenous DMT and people were regularly encountering beings, other intelligences. And this was not something he expected. Like he, um, he ended up actually shutting down the experiment because he wasn't expecting this to happen. And he had some ethical questions about like, I'm, I'm exposing people to all these beings. But, I, but what, one of the things I encountered in my research, which I was not expecting, is that many people reported having abduction experiences, mm. meaning the same thing that John Mack was hearing from his subjects. People were feeling that on DMT. 
which gets to the second fallacy that I talk about in the book, the idea that this is not an exclusively physical phenomenon. So what's going on? Someone's being given DMT. They seem to go into another dimension of consciousness and they feel like they're having an abduction experience with some of the same species that people report otherwise. Now, John Mack also said that in some cases, the person the person was physically taken, but in other cases, it didn't seem that there was a physical movement. So what what is there another dimension of consciousness or dimensions in which these things are happening to people? And at some level, it is very real because it's having an effect on them. But it's not real in the way that we consider this reality to be real. It's like there are different levels of experience. And DMT might be a portal. That's how I look at it, that these psychedelics are portals into different dimensions of reality in an almost uncontrolled manner um, in that like relative to meditation, for example, that's a bit more controlled with the psychedelic substance. It's going to happen to you, whether you like it or not. You might have a certain mindset that people talk about set and setting, um, but it's going to take you where it's going to take you and people experience beings. They definitely do. And most of the time they're very helpful. They're always helpful, right? Even if they scare the shit out of you, that's still, there's still value in that. So, um, you know, and whenever you talk about, um, you know, the, um, DMT specifically, uh, how there's, you know, these machine elves that they talk about these other entities that are there. And, you know, one of the things I think about whenever is this theory that, you know, psilocybin mushrooms are actually an entity themselves. And so they actually hijack mm. your consciousness in a really interesting way. Now, a lot of parallels can be drawn there. So you get a psychedelic experience and otherworldly very different experience with either you're scooped up by aliens or you're um, taking mushrooms and then also when you come back it's a very or come down or return to baseline uh, it's a very um, you know calming experience you're, you realize you know that you're all one or that the world is a lot bigger or your role in it's more important also you know you uh, tend to care for nature more so what are the aliens always talking about they're saying mm. no more nukes no more any of that kind of stuff so there's so many parallels that can be drawn and so maybe it's just another messenger for the same consciousness you know I've looked at yeah. it like, you know, it's just another representative for the same idea. Um, it's just that's the way that some people want to be spoken to in that way. So yeah. uh, let's do some fun ones here. What do you think about crop circles, dude? Still kind of technically contact. Yeah. I mean, it came up in my research. I don't know as much about them. It seems very strange that such complex formations could show up. Um, I haven't seen like that much concrete like data that I can say this is 100% not man-made, but I've seen the pictures of them. And given what we know about what these aliens can do, and I have heard some people talk about energetic properties when you enter the circles and there's some other weird stuff with the actual, uh, the biology of the the plants yes. that's there. There's some weird stuff going on. So my, if I had to guess, probably some some kind of advanced intelligence. It's crazy too, is the seeds yield more, they stick around, but it doesn't. Um, so the same image won't get snow on it. So snow will fall all around the crop after it's harvested and everything in that pattern will be almost burned into the ground, but with no null effects whatsoever. I got to get you in touch with Gary King. He is amazing. Been in over 900 crop circles. It's a fascinating guy. Um, okay. So what about uh, Roswell? We're coming up on the anniversary of that. What do you think? Yeah. Sounds like the government lied. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> now, what exactly happened? I don't know. Um, I mean, Edgar Mitchell. So I'm on the board of, of Edgar Mitchell's Institute of Noetic Sciences. Yeah. He's the Apollo 14 astronaut. I never met Edgar Mitchell, but he had one of these experiences on his mission where he felt the unity consciousness. So he wanted to form, it's called IONS for short, um, to be able to study phenomena of consciousness. And I mentioned Edgar Mitchell because he grew up in Roswell, New Mexico, and he was not there during the incident. But when he came back uh, 
to the town after college, he would talk to people and they would say that this was an alien craft. Um, so that's my guess. And a lot of smart people seem to think that's the case. So if I had to guess, there was a some kind of intelligence there. For sure. And, um, you know, Lynn Miller, who we were on that contact panel together for, she's a, a member of the Noetic Scientists, as well as her co-author, Barbara Mango, who couldn't make it that night. She sends her regards. Uh, they wrote a book called um, Convergence. It's fascinating. So same thing. So we know some mutual colleagues here. So what do you think about, uh, okay, so I wanted to ask you about phantom pregnancy. So you have this, Mary mm-hmm. Rodwell points this up. She calls it the missing prego syndrome. I put the prego on there. Uh, missing pregnancy syndrome. So uh, what do you think about it? It's pretty wild like that now we're talking about like virgin births and stuff like that dude yeah it's wild and at the same time compelling because these cases have happened and they've even happened to women who are lesbians so they haven't had sexual interactions with men and one of the examples i give in the book is of a, a woman who's a lesbian has a girlfriend and she became pregnant and her girlfriend was being supportive, but then got jealous and said, wait a second, maybe she cheated on me with the guy. Um, And then actually the the pregnancy disappears. That's what seems to happen all the time. John Mack mentioned this as well. And what he said is that the gynecologists haven't been willing to take this extra step to say, yeah, like something bizarre is happening that maybe this was an implanted hybrid or something and the aliens took it, Uh, but it is commonly reported. Yeah, it'd be crazy as if they needed to gestate an embryo in you just for a little bit. They're like, hey, we're going to borrow your oven. Like your neighbor, like cooking way too much food for people. She's like, I'm just going to throw some rolls in the oven real quick. I'll come right back. You know, maybe they just bake it in your oven for a little bit and then suck it back out when it's at a certain developmental stage and they need that human interaction, heartbeat, all that. That might be part of the hybrid process. I don't know, man. Speculating wildly and we love doing that. But the um, phantom pregnancies are crazy. What do you think about these stories of UFOs and Nazis? That there was contact um, by yeah yeah I I have looked at, I didn't write about this in the book I mean I've looked into it Michael Sala um, has has taught, written a lot about this phenomenon it's certainly possible I don't feel like I'm well enough versed on the history of of post World War II Nazis and you know the theory that they were in South America and Antarctica and all that's like it, it's all related to that. Um, and, and I've heard the theory that the 1952 sightings in Washington D.C. might have been related to this advanced craft. So I'm going to put this in the, I I really don't know category, but it's certainly plausible, especially if you believe what some people say who, who claim to have survived from the secret space space program, there is this notion of, of Nazi culture that has survived and they're involved in these programs. So if any of that stuff's true, then to answer your question, that would be a yes, most likely. It's just really hard to like nail this stuff down. I mean, with some of my other research, with psychic abilities, I can point you to all these peer reviewed papers and be like, I feel comfortable saying for sure. Yeah. But this other stuff, I just, I really don't know. There's a lot of compelling stuff out there, but there's also some disinformation out there. And, and for that, for those reasons, I don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> well, this is what's fun about this show, man, especially no one's going to hold you. We know you're legit, dude. Nobody's going to hold you to, if you want to, we can even have a code word or something to where, Hey, everything <laughs> I say after this, don't like, you know, quote me on. We're just going to have some fun with the idea. Cause I'll tell you what, uh, some rants like that has led me to some pretty cool understandings I feel you know where I'm just like uh, where are you going with this oh there you are and there's like a clearing of consciousness right there and I wouldn't have gotten there if I had not stumbled down some crazy path well let me add Brandon that I when my research I'll go down the rabbit holes oh yeah like I'll I'll read all the stuff I'll research it but in terms of like what I'm willing to say I conclusively think is true that's you know it doesn't meet the threshold sometimes but there's 
some compelling stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> this is this whole show. You know, this is this is all I do. I just talk shit and it's great. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, touch on disclosure and then I'll probably let you run here, man. So disclosure, man, how does contact affect it? And what do you think about disclosure, dude? I just don't trust what we're being told. That's the, my summary. Because yeah. if you look at yeah. history, why would you trust anything that the government's doing? They, they're telling us things no, but that Mark, they feel- This time, this, this time, time though, dude, it's this time they're telling you. Right. Yeah. So the question is why? Because something's changed even in the last year that this is a mainstream topic. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. The Wall Street Journal mentioned my book in an article about Putin and the UFOs, which right. tells you something, because my book talks about some crazy stuff. It's amazing. And they're stuff. willing, right? They're willing to talk about UFOs in a mainstream capacity. Why is that? Is it preparation for something? I know people speculate that there's you know, some kind of false flag. I don't know where where the idea, and correct me if it's if I'm wrong, the idea is that there would be a staged alien invasion and it would be viewed as a threat. And therefore the government could say, we're here to protect you, this threat that we created. Uh, we're not going to tell you we created it, but now we're going to take away your rights and all those sorts of things. So that's one idea. Another idea that has crossed my mind is that maybe they, the government knows that there's enough information out there um, for grassroots knowledge to become more widespread. So by dribbling out information, they won't seem like they're so dishonest. Mm. It won't be as much of a stark, um, oh yeah, aliens are real. It's kind of this dribble to warm people up. What do you think? Uh, I think uh, I think that some uh, some people say that they've been doing this in the form of predictive programming since the you know early uh, forms of the movies. And uh, you know Robbie Graham wrote an awesome book, Silver Screen Saucers, and it's all about this idea that you know the government control of the narrative of and non-human intelligence or whatever is in TV and movies from the fifties on. Uh, and then they kind of lightened up when you know like uh, Michael Bay would say, "Hey, we're going to put you know the U.S. military in our movie, but we're going to kill the aliens." And so mm. they could put a bunch of truth in there or whatever, uh, even when. Spielberg wanted to do uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He reached out to the military and to NASA for resources, right? And uh, they both told him no, and then NASA actually wrote him and said, do not make that movie, right? So there's kind of this apprehension of the consciousness surrounding it, but now that, yeah, like you said, I do think that the cat's kind of out of the bag with it, and that there's so many people questioning it in a positive way to where I think that the scare is over, you know, as far as letting people know, but I think they're not done scaring you with it yet. So I do agree with you that it's probably Probably a false flag type of a thing is what my likely like, if it's left up to them yeah man that's that's what they're gonna do they don't do things you know you and i are under the same <laughs> impression with uh daddy you know daddy government there but it's it seems to me also with sergey manass work from the 90s i don't know if you've heard of his book um project blue blue beam he died under very mysterious circumstances after reporting that information and it's all about this idea of these 70 holograms this is back in the mid 90s talking mm. about sky to skull technology uh 70 holograms all things by the way that have been declassified along the way uh, and you can see 70 holograms now you know and they're doing this stuff um also these like weird sounds in the sky could be the testing of this kind of thing whenever i see the government like you say um hey you know, this is, this is UFOs. Here they are. Here's aliens. Then I'm just like, okay, how are they going to co-opt it? And so I wasn't excited about it like everybody else. I was just like, shit, you know, okay. Project blue beaming it up. And it's just, a, it's um, a really interesting thing when you really look at it, man. Um, but like you, I don't trust it. And so hopefully they have some cool fireworks, you know, if they've been flying craft around and they have, they've had a bunch of reversed engineered alien technology or whatever, and they've got those craft, those TR3B allegedly, and all of those, then 
you know, hopefully we get a cool show out of the deal. I don't know. I mean, even Von Braun on his deathbed said that that would be the last card was the alien right. invasion card. And so now that right. they're putting it in your mind, it makes me think it's some end game shit. You know, I mean, democracy's last, what, 250 years? We're on 247. I don't know, dude. I mean, mm. who knows? Ronald Reagan said it. That, what, did, what was the quote that he we would uh, need something to unite us at the 89 the yeah at the 89 UN meeting where he said um, wouldn't we wouldn't it be amazing if an alien threatening us an alien civilization was threatening us from outside how well we would all band together and forget our differences yeah they're already yes. planting that seed in the in your mind as well damn uh, well, dude, Mark Gober, I could talk to you forever about this, but I'm going to let you run, Bubba. But, uh, oh, guys, an end to Upside Down Contact and all of the ways, of course, to find him are going to be located down in the show notes. Love the shit out of you, man. Thank you so much for this. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Want to take a moment and thank Mark Gober for coming by and hanging out. One of the coolest dudes ever. Easily one of my favorite authors, guys. All the ways to find him will be located down in the show notes. Definitely pick up and end to Upside Down Contact. It is fantastic. We just scratched the surface on this on this conversation here, guys. So definitely check that out. While you're down in the show notes checking that out, also take a gander there at our resource links. We have Food Forest Abundance. We've got Opus, the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support, as well as we just recently switched our hosting to Red Circle. So if you guys want to start your own podcast, could not encourage you to do that enough. Check that link down there titled Start Your Own Podcast. That's it. It'll take you to Red Circle and could not, again, recommend them enough. So also down there, check out The Manifestor's Guide. This dude changed my life, and he's offering you guys a stupid, sick deal just for listening to this show and engaging. So the link down there is for a sponsorship that he's got just for you, the listener of this show. And trust me, I know his other offers. This is the best damn one you're going to get. Also, he's even sweetened that deal by at checkout, type in expanding reality, all caps, no spaces, gives you another 10% off that already stupid sweet deal. So check out the Manifestor's Guide and all of our other resource links, guys, located down there in the show description. While you're down there as well, go ahead and check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is the mothership for this whole group of extra ultra terrestrials that we've got going on here. And it's got all the cool things. It's got replays for the lives, which Mark Gober has been a part of two of, and they're up there on the front page. Also, the Too Hot for YouTube stuff, as well as links to all the socials and merchandise and blah, 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 all that stuff. But while you're over there, sign up to become an Expansive Insider member. This is a wonderful way to show your support for the show that is just here to expand your reality and encourage everyone to ask more questions. That is a wonderful way to do it. There's a ton of bonus content that's offered there uh, in the form of bonus episodes, collaborations, panel series. We have an incredible panel series going on over there, guys. So I'm just super excited about the bonus stuff. But that's a wonderful way, like I said, to be a part of an aligned community, and it's incredible. We have a goal of 1,000 members. Help us reach that goal. This is also a value-for-value system. So if you guys feel that you get value out of this show, out of the guests, out of the incredible conversations, we're expanding your reality in any way whatsoever, feel free to go down there in the link that says support the mission. And that is a great way for you to be able to invest in the show that just wants to make sure that you're asking questions and that your mind's blown all the time. That's what we're here to do. So enjoy it. So support if you feel drawn to do that. Again, invest in us. We're investing in you like crazy. So, you know, it's a beautiful value exchange system there. All right, guys, go out into this incredibly beautiful place, whatever the hell this thing is. Y'all pick up a piece of litter. Be nice to everybody that you come across. Go ahead and, you know, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal. Something small goes a huge, huge way in the ripple effects in the collective. It's insane to watch, and it's a joy to participate in. So make sure that you're taking advantage of that if, again, you feel aligned with that. 
Also, get the hell out of the left-hand lane. That's a huge pain in the ass. You got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And beyond anything else, guys, go out into this incredibly beautiful, mysterious, mind-blowing place, whatever the hell this thing is. And y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening, for watching, for engaging, and for being so damn awesome. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.